All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy, that's where we'll be. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, is where we are. Had a good meeting up in Iowa this week with uh, Governor DeSantis's uh, advance team for up in Iowa there. I know he's up there campaigning. He wasn't able to meet us. I was a little disappointed about that, but that's okay. Met the Lieutenant Governor from Florida and she did a wonderful job and um, really good time. Uh, bunch of pastors invited as, long, as well as citizens and there were a lot of Iowa representatives there, which was good and from the house and, and uh, um, but the only other pastor that showed up other than Jeremy was myself, four hours away from Maryville, Missouri. So <laughs> that tells you our, our uh, political climate and those uh, of the faith that just aren't engaged. And so um, we will be engaged, if you were wondering. <laughs> they need to be. Some try to separate these two, and, and uh, there's, there's no place for separation in these things. So. Uh, while there, though, while it was a good meeting and all, uh, met with one of Charlie Kirk's representatives from Turning Point USA, and they want to start a chapter at our church with our area. So we're getting involved with that. So that's exciting. So anybody that is interested in being a part of that, um, being a part of that, uh, I'm going to say it, committee. <laughs> we don't do committees here. <laughs> we do now because I can't, I can't do it. I don't have time. So it's got to be some folks that are interested in our go-getters. So if you're interested in being a part of that, um, let me know and we'll get you a part of that committee for that startup here. Um, anyway, thank you for praying about that for those of you who were able to, and it was a good meeting and, and exciting to see what happens next. Not, I haven't settled on DeSantis by, by any means. That's not the point. Uh, the point was it was a good time to meet at least one of the candidates, and, and hopefully we'll meet through all the all the folks running for president this year. And, and uh, of course, we'll support uh, whoever best reflects um, our Christian values. So that's uh, that's uh, important. So tonight we'll be in Second Timothy chapter three. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, oh, I didn't mention this. I'm sorry. Uh, Levi, Bell, Jack, and Baby Ella. Baby Ella is here. If you want to see her, don't touch her, but you can see her. Uh, and look at her. And uh, anyway, they're doing meals or we're trying to do meals for her. And so we've got some slots available and I'll get this out there before you get out of here. So you can sign up if you're interested. Um, they're, they're up in Clorinda. So if it's too much of a drive for you, of course, you're welcome to go take it up there to them. Um, but if you want to leave it here as a frozen meal, that'd be fine too. We can get it up to them some other way. So anyway, here's a sign up sheet and we'll get that out there. All right. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for tonight and your word. We thank you for the opportunity to break away from the world and spend some time in your word and really uh, enjoy Paul's exhortation to Timothy as he exhorts us as well. And uh, we just live in, the, we live in these times. So did Timothy, so did Paul. I don't think anything's new under the sun. We sometimes think, I think, Lord, that things are different than they, they were back then, but they are. This is first century stuff and we're still dealing with it today. And it's only by your spirit and only by your word that we can stay true and stay focused and uh, um, just be the best disciples and servants that we can be. So Lord, we pray that you teach us tonight and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter three is a wonderful chapter as Paul gets into basically two lists, things you want to do, things you don't want to do. And I like those. They're very, they're very easy for me um, to understand, to comprehend, and to teach, to be honest with you. It's not hard to teach this chapter. 
So I'll take those chapters when I can get them. Now you get into the Psalms and sometimes you're stretching a little bit. Um, but this one is, is very easy. Um, I have different things I wanted to pull up. And I, uh, Aaron and Carolyn, I didn't get those sent to you today. I apologize. So if they're not pulled up, I understand. As I mentioned, I can probably send it to you now, I guess. But I don't expect anything from you. Um, let's see. Aaron, you want me to send it to you or send it to us? Okay, I will. Normally, I'm, 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 I'm better at this, but there you go. In chapter 3, Paul moves Timothy into thinking about the last days. And so if Paul was talking to Timothy about the last days, we're certainly in them by now. And of course, the difference is, and what Paul means, and not the difference, what, what Paul means is the last days are when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead and left us kind of uh, in charge under the authority of the Holy Spirit, the last days started. We're in the last days of human history, and it started at the ascension of Jesus Christ. The, the final chapter, all prophecy has been fulfilled. The New Testament has begun. The new covenant has begun. The old has uh, been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so the final uh, years of this existence has begun. The, the clock started. And so he warns about this and continues with the same theme of false teachers and imposters in the church. Um, Jesus was all about that. You know, I, I want unity as much as anybody else, but it needs to be unity in the spirit and it needs to be consistent with God's word. Otherwise, there is no unity to be had. I'm not going to unify under a, a flag of Christianity. I'm going to unify under the Holy Spirit and under his word. That's where we can have fellowship. And that's where we can understand one another. But outside of that, Jesus calls them out. The first thing he does is rides in on the donkey and flips the table of the money changers and those who have perverted the worship of God. He didn't go to uh, the palace and begin to overthrow the Roman government and take them out. It was, it was at the, the place of worship that needed to be changed. Back to a purity, back to an understanding, a, a, a love for God and not a love for money or for power. And so... He, he, Paul follows that same thought as Jesus did by telling Timothy, look, you're going to have to stand up to the people you didn't expect you'd have to stand up to. You're going to have to stand up to those within the church also that are going to rise up from among you. you know? Paul says that in several of his epistles. One of them, of course, being in Ephesus when he has the pastor's conference and leads them. He says, when I'm gone, savage wolves are going to rise up from the outside to attack you and to eat you, to stop you. And from inside, they're going to rise up. And you're going to need to know the difference between a sheep and a wolf because they're going to be in the same group, you see. And so Paul is telling Timothy, you're, you're going to have to lead this charge. It's a hard thing. One of the things he charges Timothy with is, is, is we didn't, God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, Tim. So don't have a spirit of timidity. That isn't from God. God you didn't get that from the Lord. That's, that's not from him. You're going to have to be bold. You don't have to be brash. You don't have to be rude. But you're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to stand up for truth and stand up for righteousness. And it's going to be against who you thought were going to be friends, but maybe aren't. So verse 1, But know this, know it, Timothy, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, They'll be lovers of money, they'll be boasters, they'll be proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, 
unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That's a lot. (laughs) The most important part of that whole series of words is that they're going to be They're going to have a form of godliness. He's not talking about the world when he mentions that list. That's so discouraging to me. He's talking about believers. They're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to be like this instead. They'll they'll deny the power. They'll deny the change. They'll deny the, the, the new spirit that God has given us, the new mind that he's given us, the new heart that he's given us. And they're going to be these people. And I want you to turn away from them. Did you mean convert them? No, I want you to turn away from them, Timothy. One of the most powerful tools we have for ministering, serving, helping others to come to know the truth is that. I'm not talking about shunning necessarily, but there is, there does need to be an understanding we're not going to get along. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe the Bible. And when I run into another pastor that doesn't believe the Bible, doesn't necessarily believe in the miracles, and doesn't believe in the virgin birth, we're not going to get along. And he needs to know that. Or she needs to know that, whoever it is across from me. Well, we need unity. Don't argue. (laughs) No, we're going to argue. We're going to get this straightened out. And you're going to know that I'm not going to fellowship with that. I love you. I'm not talking about your salvation, although it's a little questionable at this point if you don't believe any of those things. But we have a problem doctrinally. And Paul's going to make a distinction here for Timothy that we need to handle these three different issues. There's correction that needs to take place. There needs to be um, exhortation, building up, but also pointing out. And um, uh, just truth and righteousness needs to be dealt with. You can't leave those things out. We can't move into the place where Christianity is just this this huggy-lovey stuff. Love has lots of attributes to it. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then, then points out what all those attributes are to the love, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads and guides people into truth. That's love. To not do that, to disregard truth, to, to conceal truth and unrighteousness, well, that's to not be loving. And so it's the opposite of what the Holy Spirit's mission is. So Paul gives us a a big list, gives Timothy a big list. I want you to turn away from such. No, we'll dive into this a little bit more, but I want to get to verse 9 before I break much longer. For of this sort, the sort that need to be turned away from, the sort that have a form of godliness but deny the power, creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And now he gives us an example. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, these were the two magicians that made snakes like Moses was going to make a snake. Okay, That's who Janus and Jambres are. Like these two resisted Moses, we can do that too. So do these, the people I just listed before, also resist the truth. They're mockers, they're imitators, they're imposters. That's the key word. They're imposters. Because although they can make a snake and a stick, 
like Moses did. The distinction, he says, is clear. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs, Janice and Jambres, also was. How was Janice and Jambres' little snakes taken care of? How was the deception (laughs) exposed? Moses' snake ate their snakes. (laughs) I like that. You know, oh good, you can make snakes. Sick them, Fido. And there goes the, you know, ate them up. And Janice didn't have anything else to pick up after that. You know, what do you do? Sure, you can make snakes. Sure, you can appear to have the power of God in your life or even have, but you, you deny the very God who gives you that. You're doing, you're doing it as opposed to what God is doing with Moses. You're opposed to the true work of the Holy Spirit that God is moving in Moses and doing with the nation of Israel. And you're trying to thwart what God is trying to do with Moses. And God says, I won't have it. That's, what are gonna, that's what's going to happen in the church, Timothy. Watch out for these people. They will lure other people with their fake snake tricks. It appears to look like that they're imposters. And you'll know that because the truth will swallow them up. The truth takes care of it. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus shares us with, with us a parable of the wheat and the tares. Wheat, if you know, is beautiful. We always like to get our pictures taken in the wheat field before it's harvested. You'll see a lot of that. They are beautiful. They're just golden and wavy and my goodness. But tares are imitators. They're imposter wheat. They don't have any fruit. They don't really have any grain. They just appear to. They're really hard to tell the difference. And you can only tell in a field if you put them side by side. One's plump and juicy and ready to go, and the other one's just a spindly weak, you know, but has no nutritional value and is worthless. And in a field of wheat back in the day, they would have a mixture of these things. Well, here's what he says. Another parable he put forth, verse 24 to that, verse 24, he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How is it? How then does it have tares? And he said to him, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Imposters are burned. The the imposters aren't of any value to the field owner, to the farmer. The farmer, of course, being God. It's not a small matter that Paul is bringing up here. It wasn't a small matter to Jesus. It was very, very important to him. The truth can be thwarted by lies in a sense. It can definitely hinder the truth from going forth, but a distinction needs to be made. Now, the, the, the hired hands could tell the difference, and they knew, and it bothered them, and they wanted to know what happened and how could this have happened. I think people have that problem in church all the time. You hear it all. I can't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. And you know, one of the, we had protesters at the thing in Iowa, and 
One of them was holding a sign, it, gibberish, it didn't make any sense, obviously a mental condition of some kind, this person. But um, but once they got off the topic of, of conservatives and, and, and of Christianity, they, they moved on to talk about how so many uh, of, the, of the pedophiles are, 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 are Christian, you know, religious leaders and all that. And well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, but, but so are all vocations have that. I mean, it isn't just pastors. Um, it isn't just youth leaders. It's 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 police officers sometimes. It's it's correctional officers sometimes. It's social workers sometimes. I mean, there's uh, there's a it happens across the board. What we're just, what you're trying to describe though is there's wheat and then there's tares among the wheat. Like there's not much you can do about that. You, you just don't plant? Do we just not have law enforcement? Do we just not have churches? Do we just not have social workers? Do we just not have, do we do we stop all of that because there might be a tear or what? And that's the, that's the premise here. That's the problem. Paul is telling Timothy to keep an eye out for these guys. When you spot them, when you spot them, withdraw yourself from them. Don't let them sow tares. Don't let them be those enemies that are sowing the false seed in people's hearts. Don't allow them in. Now we're mixing our metaphors a little bit, but that's the idea. Another one is Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, his second coming, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And of course that goes on and on. I don't want to read the whole thing to you, but you continue on that chapter and explains the difference between the two between the goats and the sheep. Um, Paul says, you're going to have the same problem that Jesus talked about. We're going to have the same problem here. We're very vigilant at our fellowship. or We try to be. We don't boast about it in the sense that uh, we've got a handle on it. We pray, pray, pray all the time. But we do keep an eye out. We do watch teachers. We do have accountability to teachers in the room. We do have accountability when they go to the bathroom that there's a teacher at the door and there's a teacher. You know, we do our best anyway, the best we can do without having a bunch of messes everywhere. I mean, sometimes a teacher uh, has to take a kid by themselves, but they're told we're going to do this so everybody knows. There's nothing hidden or secret. We have an adult that walks outside every once in a while and just to make sure that there aren't any, you know, you do your best. We don't let anybody into the children's ministry past that little sheep gate that we have back there unless you're authorized, unless you have... You know, I love it when people bring guests and of course we want them to visit our church, but we're very careful. Don't be offended if we say, I'm sorry, you can't bring your guest back here. We've already checked children in. We don't know your guest. You may, we know you, but we don't know your guest. We don't just let people walk around. We do our best, in other words, to make sure, to mitigate as much threat as possible in our fellowship. But that doesn't mean we don't bathe it in prayer because it doesn't matter how much of a wall we put up. If the Lord doesn't have that shield up, it's worthless. So we trust the Lord for that. It's no different. 
It's no different for Timothy. Timothy, you're going to have people, and Timothy, you have people. (laughs) And he knows that. He's already told them, you're going to have to get rid of some guys there in Ephesus. They're not doing well, you know. Um, So be prepared to step forward and do those things. So he gives us this list. We can go through the list. I think it's obvious. None of us want to have any of those attributes in our lives. I don't want to be a lover of myself over people. But these are red flags that tell us the condition of someone's heart. Oftentimes, people don't tell you exactly what's going on, but their behaviors or some of their side comments will give you some red flags to let you know, "Mm, you know, they said that awfully freely or they do that awfully, you know. And I don't mean to judge you, but I do pay attention to those things, you know. Gosh, I hate kids. I'd like to join the children's ministry. Yeah, no. (laughs) I think there's a better ministry for you, you know. Um, Pay attention to those things. In these perilous times, you have people that love money, and they worship it, they crave it. It's, it's, It's more important than the people or ministry. They're boasters. They're proud. Very careful of that. That's a... That was one of Billy Graham's uh, main things that he had prayed over is uh, money, women, and pride, to be careful of those areas in his life. Um, In fact, he had a pact with um, three other brothers in the Lord, and they prayed for each other and watched out for each other in those areas, money, women, and pride. Those are very uh, easy targets for him, and he knew that. So they prayed over that and kept themselves above reproach. Um, Blasphemers. Um, boy, anybody that's a blasphemer, that's, that's obviously a red flag. And if you feel that in your heart sometimes, just know that it isn't from God to be a blasphemer. Disobedient to parents. If you think that that's just a normal part of growing up, it isn't. It's of Satan. It's of the devil. It's an influence in a, in a child's life that is not from God. Um, and now, oftentimes that doesn't have to, we have a sin nature and so does your child. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an influence of Satan whispering in their ear or whatever to do certain things. But um, the, the idea that being disobedient to parents is just a stage in life um, isn't true. That's, the world would love us to just accept it, to just say, uh, you just have to live through it. You got the terrible twos you just have to live through. No, you need to identify what that is. These are two-year-olds that are becoming self-aware and have a ton of full-size adult emotions, and they don't know how to handle them and do that. That's your job then to parent them through those two-year-old fits. Help them understand what's going on. Try to communicate and teach them how to express themselves differently. It isn't something you just work, you don't just bide your time. You know, the world would love us to believe that. No, no, no. Scripture tells us how to deal with these things. Also tells us how to deal with this. This is a red flag. It's not okay if a parent decides to just let these things go in their teen years, and I see it a lot, unfortunately, because they've been conditioned to think that this is just normal behavior, it leads to the next step, and the next step isn't necessarily back to God. It's to the next step further down that road. Disobedient to parents means disobedience to God. If they don't have a problem with Jesus and being disobedient to God, they won't have a problem with anything else after that. You see, it's a red flag. 
They're going to be unthankful. I deserve. I'm, you owe me. That's a, an unthankful heart or a heart that can't be thankful for what God has given them and only focuses on what they don't have. That's a red flag for us. They're unholy. The idea of holiness in their life is not something they want. It's a, hmm, I am who I am. That's how God made me. They're settled, you know. A relationship with Jesus, a true relationship in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always striving towards obedience because obedience is the best place. Obedience is simply not doing what your sin nature tells you to do. It isn't like, I don't get to be me. or No, you get to be the true self, your true you, the way God created you to be, and a, a wonderful child of God who has love and grace and mercy and, and this relationship with him. That's... That's what obedience is. Obedience is, is called obedience because you're fighting a sin nature. Now you have to obey. Well, if, if, you, if, you, if you hated sin, it's not obedience anymore. You're in agreement. You know? There are some times my kids didn't want to go someplace. And they went anyway because that's where the family was going. So, pout, do whatever you want to do. We're going. That was obedience. You're going to go. Fine, I'll go, but I don't want to. God doesn't want that from his children. I, I don't want to ever have to drag my kids to church. I will, but I don't want to have to drag my kids to church. I want them to want to come because they want to love their God. Otherwise, it's just obedience. I'm obedient. Are you? You know, that's terrible. It's a red flag. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving. I, I don't have time to go through all of these tonight. Unforgiving, slanderers, talk about, talk about people, you know, slandering people, destroying character. It's murder. You're murdering people's character without self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the attributes of the love of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I should be able to control myself, you know, um, when I don't have control of myself, and what does then if I don't have control? You know, I have difficulty with food sometimes. Imagine that. <laughs> I love to eat. I read something somewhere. A doctor said, well, if you, if you feel hungry and you'll eat an apple, then you're probably hungry. But if you wouldn't eat an apple, then you're probably just having a craving. Yeah. And boy, I see. <laughs> Well, I have a lot of cravings then. I mean, I like apples with peanut butter, though. You know, not by themselves. I'm making light of it. <laughs> Self-control goes far beyond that. It goes into drugs and alcohol and into all sorts of sin, obviously. But we need to have self-control. It's one of the attributes of having a life filled with the Spirit. You're brutal. We live in a world that just loves brutality. Big fight coming up if you didn't hear about it. Big fight in Rome at the Colosseum. Some of you don't know. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Well, Elon Musk is going to battle royale with, what's his name? <laughs> yeah, you guys are paying attention. Mark Zuckerberg, you probably have money on it. No, I'm kidding. I just, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you're like, 20 bucks, what's 20 bucks? We're excited about it. Oh, brutal. Brutality, you know. Enjoy the brutality. Careful about that. Careful about that. I don't mind having the capacity 
for a man to have brutality in his spirit. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's part of our protective nature. I think that's important to have. The ability, at least, hopefully we never have to call upon it, but the ability to be that is fine, but to thrive and enjoy it and to crave it, that's, that's a threat. That's a dangerous thing. Despisers of good. Um, it just bothers them. Oh, goodness. I wish goodness wasn't in the way, you know, a despiser of good. Traitors, they'll turn your back, turn their back on you. Headstrong, can't be taught, unteachable, haughty. Um, they know everything. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. I, don't, I think you can have pleasure while loving God. I think that's important. But uh, when, it, when it contradicts God's word, when it goes against Scripture, uh, and you would choose it over loving God, well, that's a problem, obviously. Uh, it's a different God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, they say they're Christians. And they, that funny clip of that young gal who they were trying to explain to her, you know, about abortion and all this, and and uh, she was obviously pro-choice very much so. And they said, well, that that's that's to be expected. You're not a believer. You're not a, you're not a Christian, you know. And she goes, oh no, I'm a Christian. And he goes, well, do you believe the Bible? And she knew she had gotten caught. And she says, well, no, I don't believe what the Bible says. <laughs> and I'm slapping my forehead, you know, uh, doesn't compute. You're a Christian that doesn't believe the Bible. What, what are you then? What, what, where do you get your doctrine from? Where do you get your values from? Where do you get your understanding from about life? And what's your worldview? And where did it come from? It didn't come from Scripture. Because that's where Christianity comes from. It comes from God's Word. Um, so if you don't believe it, you're, you're just, you are an imposter, is, is what they're saying. You're false. From such people turn away. So, there's our list, okay? Verse 10, we are going to move on. <laughs> but you have carefully, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch uh, and uh, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They will suffer these things. These things you followed. There's a list here of nine things. My doctrine. The teachings of Paul are irrefutable and non-negotiable. You cannot be a Christian and believe that the writings of Paul have somehow perverted the Bible because they're man-anointed as opposed to God-anointed. No, Paul's writings his letters are scripture. They're scripture. Um, they're God breathed. We'll discuss that a little bit later on. Peter says that Paul's writings are scripture. So everybody understood that back then. The only people that doubt it now or try to bring up that doubt today, well, I don't know what they stand upon then. If all of the doctrines that Paul teaches are taught other places in scripture, that's why they're considered scripture. They corroborate each other. They come together um, and they make the Bible uh, infallible. It's perfect. It's, it meshes together. You don't have Paul teaching something that's not already taught. So that's the idea. You've, you've carefully followed my doctrine. And Paul expected that. The Holy Spirit expects us to follow these things. It isn't open to debate. 
that isn't open. That's why I wrote what I wrote. They're irrefutable and they're non-negotiable. He says, you've also followed my manner of life, which is just as important as following the scriptures or the teachings. The teachings need to change the manner of life. And the fact that you do believe the teachings or scripture shows in your manner of life. Um, we get confused sometimes, I think, between salvation and just walking in holiness in our life. No, a sin here and there throughout your life, or regularly, often, I, I don't think you should be living in it, but I think there's a problem there, but doesn't change the salvation that you have. But we should be very, very afraid of the consequences of sin in our lives. And we should expect the consequences of sin in our life. If I sin, just because I'm saved doesn't mean the consequences have been taken over that happened here in this earth. No, I'm not going to hell for those sins. Those are paid for. That's a different thing. But the consequences of sin in my life, of unrighteousness, I'm scared to death to be disobedient to God's word. I'm scared to death to sin because I see what happens to people when they go down those roads. And I don't want to do that. Can you imagine I think about these things. I'm terrified of myself. I'm terrified of my, of my flesh. I know what happens if I, don't, if I stop battling, if I stop staying on top of and immersed. I know what my flesh will do. I know if I leave it unchecked, it grows and it eats and it feeds and it becomes. It just does. There's no way around it. Everybody in this room has that same capacity. Nobody is exempt from this. Can you imagine the destruction that would take place if I left sin, if we left sin unchecked in our lives? I think about that. What a horrific, we see it happen. I mean, we see it happen all the time in Christianity. We see people that we thought we knew or we thought we hoped or whatever it is we thought and it became something else in their life. And it was like a volcano that was capped for so long and hidden for so long and nothing was done about it for so long that when it went off in their lives, decimated. I mean, it's absolutely, it's like Mount St. Helens. It just absolutely wipes out. I think a, a healthy fear of the consequences of sin is very important for us to have. That's part of the fear of the Lord. That's part of it. The idea that we can go on in Christianity, in our walk with Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, without that fear of the consequences of sin. No, I'm not talking about hell again. I'm just talking about just what happens. I'm talking about prison. I'm talking about divorces. I'm talking about lost kids. I'm talking about murder when you lose your temper. I'm talking about things that absolutely just destroy what God's done. Is it recoverable? Of course it is. But there's still damage. And so when he says these things, I pay attention to this stuff. Follow my manner of life. Paul was careful not to not get beat up <laughs> for the truth of Jesus Christ and for the gospel. He was never careful about ministry, serving, sharing the truth and love. He never careful about that. He's always full bore. He's very careful about sin in his life, and we need to be. He had purpose. We got excited when, when, oh, 
on Saddleback Church. What's his name? Uh, Rick Warren wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. And I don't, I don't know. Here's the thing with that. We, we got excited as evangelicals to say, no, we don't want to be purpose driven. We want to be Holy Spirit led. That's important. Okay, fine. It doesn't mean that purpose isn't a part of our walk. It doesn't mean that, you know. Uh, we just want to be driven by it. It isn't the primary thing that moves us as Christians, our purpose. No matter, come hell or high water, I'm doing my purpose. Well, not if the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to do that. You need to follow him and he'll help you, show you what that purpose is for your life and he'll lead you through, you know. So we want to be spirit led. But Timothy needs to follow Paul's purpose. What was Paul's purpose? To share the truth and love everywhere he went. He, uh, the apostles went out and, and, and made disciples of all the nations, but those disciples then made disciples and so on. You know, that's my purpose in this life. Spirit-led, of course, is to connect people to God. That's what we do. We invite people, we lead people, we show people. We tell, that's what the good news is. The good news is God, who maybe you're just meeting today, loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for all the sins that you did, all the rebellion, the reason you feel distant from God. He died for all of that so that you can have that fellowship with him again that was broken because of your will being done over God's will in your life. I mean, it's just what we do. That's the purpose. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith, Timothy. You believe what I believe, and you believe it for yourself now. Very important. We've talked about children. God doesn't have grandchildren, you know, just children. You've got to have your own relationship with God. Timothy has his own relationship with God. Timothy's faith increases, and I wrote down here, increased faith is just easier to believe and trust. I mentioned that on Sunday too. I have a harder time not believing than I do believing anymore. I mean, maybe when I first started walking with the Lord, I was born again and I was filled with the Spirit and things were exciting, but it took time for me to accept things I was reading in Scripture maybe, to chew on them. Now I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. The idea of somebody not believing in Jesus Christ anymore is baffling to me. I do not know how they get there. I don't understand it. It's so easy to believe that God is in charge and in control of this world. It's so easy. I can see evil and good so clearly now, you know. When we increase our faith, that means we've increased our, it's easier for us to believe and it's easier for us to trust. That's why faith increases. We want that to increase in our lives. Long-suffering. And a couple of these are a little, long-suffering, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. It's hard to maybe divide those up, but I'll do my best. Long-suffering. The struggle against evil is ongoing from within and from without, is what I wrote down for myself. Um. That, that suffering, that mourning that we have over evil in the world, darkness in the world, sin in the world, and our desire for good to prevail, light to prevail, love to prevail, um, that struggle doesn't ever end. And so there is long suffering in that. I, I don't ever stop having heartbreak over what I see and the destruction I see in the world. That doesn't ever end, unfortunately, until we're home to be with the Lord. That's going to continue on. And I need to get that through my head and through my heart that there is no light at the end of the tunnel except for when Jesus returns for his bride. I'm going to be broken for the lost for the rest of my life. That's never, ever going to change. 
No, I won't go there. I was going <laughs> to. There are doctrines that we can develop in Christianity that leave us of that burden in our hearts. Because the idea of long suffering until I'm dead is almost too much for people to bear. I'm going to be broken for people, for the lost forever. What if, I, I guess here I go, <laughs> what if they were just chosen and some weren't chosen? I don't have to be broken anymore. God made them that way. It's not my responsibility anymore. They, they just didn't make the cut. I don't know why. God's sovereign. I don't know. And I don't have to be broken anymore for the lost. I can't be because it's God's choice. It's not my choice. It's God's choice. They just were made vessels of dishonor, and I was made a vessel of honor. That's false doctrine. It's not true. Love. A sincere concern and care for others is what I wrote down. I didn't know how else to describe it. Love has so many different ways you can put it. He just, I mean, he just throws love in there. Well, we can talk about agape love, which is unconditional love, but I think this describes, I have a sincere concern for Sam, and I wouldn't if I didn't love him. I guess that's the best way. And not only do I have a, care, a concern for him, I care for him. I do stuff for him. I I either speak to him or I pray for him or I provide for him. I don't know if I've ever provided anything for you, but if I needed to, I would. And that's a love that I have for Sam and for the rest of you too. I'm just picking on him. Sit in the front row, you get some good things and bad things. This is a good one. That's a love. And Paul says, I see that in you, Timothy. I see you have a genuine concern and care for the people of Ephesus. And I see that you're willing to stay there and do something about it. And that's a wonderful thing. I see that in you, Timothy. Perseverance, moving forward in every situation undeterred. I think that's what perseverance is. It doesn't ever paralyze you what you find, you know. And, and, and that's why we pray for perseverance is because it can paralyze our faith. You might be walking along, everything's going great, and something horrible happens. I don't know what that might be. It could be anything. And you're, uh, I don't even know if I can walk with the Lord anymore. I don't even want to have my quiet time. I don't want to read. I don't want to go to church anymore. Persevere. Persevere. Um, the best way I can describe perseverance in action is actually taking that step. I don't want to take the step. I'm afraid to take that step. I'm scared to take the step. And you take the step anyway. You just, you just move forward. I don't want to read my Bible, but I physically go up and get my Bible and I open it in front of me and I force my eyes to read it. Sometimes it's like that. I don't have to feel like doing anything. I just have to do it. And that's Perseverance. I don't want to go to church. I say that to Jenny sometimes. I love you guys. But there are some Sunday mornings, oh, when it was rainy and that rolling thunder, and I'm tired, and it had been a long rodeo week. I don't know what, I'm combining weekends, but I was like, you know, this would be a good day to skip out, you know. But I persevered. I came and taught you people anyway. I did it anyway. Um, I have those fleshy lusts sometimes too. It was cozy, you know. Persecutions, he says. Um, I think that uh, here's what I wrote expect, tolerate, and understand the pushback. When you, when you decide to follow Jesus and tell people about the Lord, the world is not going to let that happen. Satan is going to not let that go unchecked or unbalanced. You will suffer persecution if you're doing what God called you to do, which is to make disciples of all the nations. It's just going to happen. That's why he said that. Don't, don't, don't count it all joy. I mean, 
not, not, yeah, I'm getting beat today. I don't know anybody gets excited about that, but you're getting beat. Why? You know, why are they slandering you? Why do they not call you anymore? Why are you not comfortable at your family functions anymore? Why? Because you love Jesus? Because you're not ashamed of the gospel? You're in good company, is the idea. These are persecutions, minor ones. You know, there's more severe ones out there in the world that haven't come our way yet, but afflictions. The world punishes dissent from its views and goals, is what I wrote down. If you dissent from the worldly view, you will be afflicted by the world. The world will afflict you. They will punish you for what you think, for what you believe, for what you espouse, okay, at times. You will be afflicted by them. Expect that. All right, we're going to move on because I have zero minutes to finish the chapter. And here's where the word imposter comes in. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from, the, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Which has a lot to do with what we said, I don't know if it was last week on Wednesday night or if it was uh, on the Sunday morning. But um, the idea that Francis Chan moved from the Word of God being the central focus of his ministry to the table the Eucharist being the central focus of ministry, and that somewhere along the line, men came in and brought the word of God to take preeminence over it. And that's not true. The true church really focuses around the meal where we can all gather together. And it's kind of a love fest is what he was saying. No, scripture teaches this. It says, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You don't get saved at the Eucharist. You don't get saved at the table. You don't get saved by that meal. It's it's a part of our fellowship with Christ. And Eucharist is a whole other word I don't even like to use, but having that time of communion with the bread and the juice reminds us of what, but it's the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've magnified my word above my name. It's the scriptures that make us wise to salvation. That's why it's preeminent. That's why it's important. He makes it that, and we don't. Man has nothing to do with making one thing more important than the other. God does. So we have that here. It's able to make you wise. Continue in these things. You're not doing it wrong, Timothy. But if you don't keep these things in check and you don't listen to what I just said in chapter 3, you won't continue in these things. So continue. Don't stop. Don't quit. You've been assured of these things. Um, I put the word doctrine there. I have a picture. Can you put that picture up or no? Is it too hard to do? Oh, there it is. Merriam-Webster's definition of doctrine. He says it's able to, um, It's. I guess this is the next section. I think I jumped ahead of myself. You can leave it up though. Thank you. All scripture, verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for this. Um, the best one probably is uh, E. It's just something taught, but it's it's more than that. It's dogma. It's the first one, too. Principal position of the body of the principles in a branch of knowledge or system of belief, the doctrine. Um, God's word is useful for that. Um, it's profitable for doctrine. The second thing is reprove or reproof. I put reprove, I think, is the other uh, picture I have here. To scold, 
or correct, uh, usually gently or with kindly intent. So it's, it's not a scream, you know, uh, it's not a rebuke necessarily, but it is, uh, you are being reproved. It's like, no, that's not okay. I don't leave those things alone. That, that is, scripture is meant Sunday mornings, Bible studies, Wednesday evenings, Sunday school class is meant to confront our sin. That's so basic. We all get that, right? But it's what's being, the churches are moving away from it because it confronts sin and makes people uncomfortable at church. But that's what church is. That's what studying the Bible is. It's this, Paul says, all scripture, Timothy, stay with all scripture. It's given by inspiration. The word inspiration there. I took this from an excerpt from Um, How We Got Our Bible by Chuck Missler. I want to give credit where credit is due. The word inspiration in the Greek, you probably can't pull that up, can you? That's okay, Don't. I'll read it. I'll do my best. Is theopneu... (laughs) Leave me alone, it's Greek. I don't study Greek. Theop... Theop... Neostos. Neostos. Fine. It means God breathed. Inspiration has the idea that Oh, that that gave me a great idea. Scripture just gave me a great idea. No, no, no. When he says inspiration, he means it's God-breathed. It's it's not an idea. It's not something we bounced off of God's word and said, oh, I think I'll do this. No, it's not inspirational. It's God-breathed. So Scripture is God-breathed. It's never wrong. It always accomplishes what it was set out to do. It cannot be refuted by any of man's wisdom. Because it's God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is perfect. God breathed. The scriptures were not just influenced by good ideas about God. They were actually infused into human beings by the Spirit of God who breathed into, their, into the hearts and minds of the Bible's authors. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Doctrine is about teaching correct understanding, while reproof is involved in addressing wrong conduct, and correction deals with wrong understanding. As we study the epistles of Paul, for example, we discover that while Romans is a doctrinal statement of uh, soteriology, the study of salvation, 1 Corinthians was sent to reprove wrong conduct, and Galatians to correct wrong doctrine. And he goes on to describe all these things. Wonderful book, by the way. We'll try to get it. It's out of print, but we can try to get it for you. You get the idea. Paul's simply saying, Timothy, you can't go wrong with Scripture. In fact, you can't teach anything but Scripture, okay? Because it's useful. It does everything it was meant to do. It does everything the human being needs. It provides all that we have to get straightened out. It's uh, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What does it look like to be righteous? That the man of God may be equipped, equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, what I wrote for that was, um, scriptures, the, uh, the New Testament for sure is, is the most trusted document. Here's what I stole from answers.com. Okay. For the New Testament, there are currently more than 5,000 manuscripts with most early copies anywhere from 200 to 300 years later and some less than 100 years later. So they took the scriptures that they found that are only 100 years old or less. They compared them to the many, many, many others that were found that are 200 to 300 years later, and they were identical. So the 200 to 300 year old ones that we found 
are identical to the first century church, so they're proven to be first century. Get it? And now we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and we look on and on and on. They match. 5,000. There isn't a document, a historical document in the world that even comes close to that kind of scrutiny and surety. It's the most trusted document the world has ever known or will ever know. (laughs) Timothy, teach it. Don't get away from it. Don't move from it. And so we will. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And thank you for your word tonight. And thank you for your passion for us to stay true. Your equipping for us to stay true. And um, you've made it a way. And it's not hard. Every one of us can hold one of these in our hands at any time throughout the day and know the truth and have the truth and receive the truth and be taught the truth. We thank you for this document. We thank you for your preservation of it. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. It's a discerner of our hearts. We thank you for that, God. Lord, bless these people. If they've taken their time tonight to to do, (laughs) to listen to what Timothy was supposed to be teaching. And we thank you that that's here in our fellowship. Everywhere we turn, whether it's a Sunday school class for adults or whether that's a Sunday school class for kids or whether that's here in the sanctuary or anywhere, this ministry is involved. It's, It's going to be your word that's taught. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.